0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. St. <clears throat> John writes After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. We don't know exactly what scripture John has in mind, but Psalm 22 is as good a candidate as any. It reads, My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me down in the dust of death. In this verse, the word you refers to the Father. It is a reminder that Jesus is being put to death because he is the bearer of our sins. And not just our sins, but the sins of the entire world. The wages of sin is death. We learn this from Genesis to Romans, from Old Testament to New. The entire witness of the scriptures states that death is not natural. That death is a punishment meted out by God against all who sin against him. For all sin, no matter how small, is cosmic treason, and an elevating of the self to the position of God. When Pilate says, behold the man, we see that man who has been made sin for us. That's Saint Paul's way of putting it. God made Christ who knew no sin to be sin for us. This of course is profound because it means that Christ is not merely reckoned to be a sinner. He is reckoned to be the sinner. Since God lays on him the iniquity of us all, as Isaiah says, he becomes the only sinner. As such, he suffers the fullness of death in a way that no mere mortal experiences it. He suffers the fullness of God's forsakenness in a way that no mere individual experiences it. He is the sinner. It is absolute. And so the death is absolute. The forsakenness of God is absolute. And the thirst is absolute. But the righteousness and faithfulness of Jesus himself can be seen in his intimate address to his God and Father. There is no resentful anger, there is no bitter silence. There are only the words of a loving son to his father. Psalm 22 is addressed from Jesus to his father. You can almost hear him say, Dad, my strength is dried up like a pot shirt, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me down in the dust of death. And here, I think, is a window into the meaning of Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane when he prays, let this cup pass from me, he isn't asking that the cross not happen. He earlier called Peter Satan for suggesting this very thing. It's that he cannot imagine being separated, even for a moment, from his Father and from his Father's love. It is both an expression of profoundest love for his Father, just as it is a prayer that as he consumes the cup, it would pass and pass quickly. That his father would not long hide his face from him. That his father would indeed accept his sacrifice. That his father would quickly raise him from the dead and restore him to full communion that the two have always shared. So the author of Hebrews writes, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. He was heard, which is to say that God answered his prayer and saved him from death. Let this death pass from me, yet not my will but your will be done. Jesus drinks the cup of the Father's wrath, not because he wants to experience the Father's wrath, but because he wants to save us no matter the cost. It is that very cup of wrath that causes his strength to dry up like a potsherd, his tongue to stick to his jaws. It is the very way by which the Father lays his own beloved Son into the dust of death a father who sacrifices something infinitely more precious to him than his own life. This is the grain of truth in the ancient heresy of Patripassianism. It is not the father who suffered on the cross with Jesus. That's a heretical confusion of the first and second persons of the Trinity. But the grain of truth is that the father sacrificed and suffered the loss of something far greater than himself. For us men and for our salvation, he did what Abraham was not in the end required to do. He laid his own son into the dust of death and provided his own lamb for the sacrifice. There is no greater glimpse into the true nature of God's love for us sinners, for you and for me. Without the sacrifice of God's beloved Son, and without the selfless, willing sacrifice of Jesus to lay his own life down for us, we would each drink the cup of God's wrath. We would each drink justly and fully for the wages of our sin. And we would have our strength dried up our tongues sticking to our jaws, our corpses laid into the dust of death, and our souls eternally forsaken by God. But Jesus was willing to drink that cup. All of this is made clear for us in a picture, in a single image that John records. We just heard it. After Jesus said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A sponge of sour wine was put on a hyssop branch and held to his mouth. When he received it, he said, it is finished. That sour wine that he received and the cup of wrath that he drank for us, that is our cup and that is the sour wine that we deserve. In taking that cup from us, he gives us his own cup. And that's why if you look at the New Testament text, they're clear. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took his cup, the cup. He took it, singular, and gave it to each one of them. In Holy Communion, there is one cup, the Lord's cup, and that is what you are drinking from. He took from you the cup that you deserve, and he drank it so that he might give to you the cup that belongs to him. And in that cup you will find not death, but life. For in that cup is his blood, and the scriptures say the life is in the blood. And in that cup you will find forgiveness, for his blood is the blood of the new covenant. It sprinkles you clean, body and soul. In that cup you receive the true holy grail. For Jesus promises and says, whoever drinks of his blood will be raised on the last day. Our thirst for rightness, our thirst for forgiveness, our thirst for meaning, our thirst for life, our thirst for righteousness, our thirst for God is quenched in Jesus only. This is most certainly true of the cup that he gives us in his supper, but it is also true of Jesus in and of himself. For this reason, he tells us that he is the living water, that whosoever drinks of him will never thirst. There is a reason why God makes physical thirst such a primal feeling. We thirst because our bodies desperately depend on water. And the same is true in regard to God and the thirsting of the soul. It doesn't matter how much success you have or how much money or power. It doesn't matter how many toys or how much travel, how attractive your spouse or how active your sex life. It doesn't matter how perfect your family or how golden your future. None of these ultimately quench the thirst of the soul. We still thirst. Ever since we lost God in the garden, the soul desperately thirsts for more. And that thirst can only be quenched by the one who is living water. When Jesus says from the cross that he thirsts, we see a stunning reversal and exchange. He who is the living water and the water of life pours himself out for us. On the cross, he who is living water thirsts so that our thirst might be quenched in him. On the cross, he who is the water of life thirsts that we might forever drink of him. There is a double meaning in the words of Psalm 22, I am poured out like water. It refers not only to his suffering, but that his suffering means precisely that he is poured out like water for us to have the primal thirst of our souls quenched by Christ and him crucified, to receive in our souls once more the fullness of God. As we behold the man who thirsts for us, we behold the God who thirsts for us. We behold the one who thirsts in order to give us drink. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.